book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you are listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my seven no eight-year-old daughter, I'm so used to saying that, uh, as <laughs> she reads through the Harry Potter book series. That's because we've been doing this for, like, uh, we've only had, like, three or so episodes with you saying eight. That's true. We've done about 18 <laughs> episodes total, so I'm more used to saying seven. Where are we, Lily? We left off on chapter 12 uh, from which book? The Order of the Phoenix. Book five, The Order of the Phoenix. And now we are on chapter 13, Detention with Dolores. Quick recap. What's going on in Hogwarts? What is the shakeup right now that is causing Harry and his friends stress at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry? Everybody has different opinions about what is happening with Voldemort and Harry. Nobody believes Harry. Most people don't believe Harry and Dumbledore that Voldemort's back. Some people do, not many. Sure. Like, like in in the last podcast, or maybe even the one before, um, Seamus Finnegan says that his mom believes the Daily Prophet. And he says that him and Dumbledore are liars. My mom believes the Daily Prophet. My mom believes Adela Prophet, and she don't believe you, Harry. <laughs> Nobody believes you. You're a liar. And, uh, yeah, so, and then who who is this unwanted guest at, uh, this, this guest that the ministry has imposed upon Hogwarts? Professor Umbridge. Professor Dolores Umbridge, who is our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Yeah. But uh, seems more like she is secretly a spy for the ministry. Yes, um, once we actually read this chapter, I was like... She, she, um, geez, why did we have to stop on this chapter? <laughs> yeah, she's she's up to no good. So, detention with Dolores. Harry has uh, given sort of an outburst in the previous chapter and gotten a, a week's detention. He's expecting a typical detention, I would expect. Maybe like writing lines. Maybe writing lines, maybe, I don't know, cleaning stuff who knows what yeah like ron did but he's in one of the books yeah but he's in for something altogether different so as we as we start our chapter uh fred and george are testing out some of their their new joke supplies on some first years and hermione's none too pleased about that and in charms practice uh everybody are in charms class they practice summoning charms and vanishing spells and uh it seems like that's a thing they never use vanishing spells um seems like that might be useful that that maybe no one ever masters. Uh, I don't remember anyone ever making anything vanish in these books. Anyway, uh, so then they go to Care of Magical Creatures, not taught by Hagrid. Who is there? Professor Umbridge. Everybody. No, no, no. Who's teaching Care of Magical Creatures? Oh, Grubbly Plank. Yeah, Professor Grubbly Plank. And Umbridge is there. You're correct. Uh, why is Umbridge... Oh, I was thinking something else. Oh, wait, no, Umbridge isn't there yet. No, we're skipping ahead. Okay. Uh, Professor Grubbly Plank is teaching. Uh, Harry asks about Hagrid. Does anyone know anything about Hagrid at this point? No, nobody really knows what's happening. 
Yeah, um, Draco has an interesting quote here where he says, maybe Hagrid got himself badly injured by messing with stuff that's too big for him. What is that? What's he implying there? That um, not big as in big, big, but big as in powerful. Yeah, this is a this is what's called a double entendre. It means it's it's a sentence with two meanings. I, I'm not even sure if Draco... Draco is uh, certainly learning the arts of manipulation and insults and humiliation from his father. So uh, he, he, he maybe knows what he's saying. But you're right. He's saying something that is uh, out of his control like the ministry. So maybe he got in trouble messing with the ministry. But he's also implying the thing that Hagrid typically does, which is play with monsters that are too big for him, right? Totally. <laughs> so so that sentence has two meanings. It's also more accurate than Draco or you even know at this point, uh, I believe, right? Because as far as you've read, Hagrid's not back, right? Um, yeah, not so far. Okay. So, yeah. So keep in mind when Hagrid shows up. Keep in mind what Draco said. Uh, but no one knows, uh, at least no one's willing to say at least what, what's going on with Hagrid. And Luna just runs up to Harry with this proclamation. What does what does Luna tell Harry? Hmm. She she states whether or not she's on his side. Do you remember what she says? Oh, she says that she supports Gryffindor. I think Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah she she just walks up to Harry out of nowhere and says, "I believe you. I believe you fought Voldemort. I believe he's back, and I support Dumbledore." And everyone kind of looks at her like she's insane. But the interesting thing is, this is the first person who has just flat out told Harry, you're not crazy, I believe you, you have support, right? Right. What do you think Harry thinks about Luna being his only supporter besides his best friends? Um, He's glad that somebody else supports him, but maybe he's not so glad it's her. Yeah, because at this point, Harry doesn't really know Luna, and so all he knows of her is that right now she's wearing radishes in her ears. (laughs) <laughs> and she's kind of a goofball and she reads a magazine that seems to be full of rubbish and she's uh, kind of zany. And so he kind of wishes that somebody who was more universal, not in control. Luna's Luna knows what she's doing. She's doing what's right for her. I think Harry knows that he someone who more more people might take seriously. But then immediately after that, Ernie McMillan says, you know what, Harry, I believe you, too. And an interesting thing about Ernie saying that is, do you know who Ernie's best friend is? Who? I was just doing his voice. Seamus Finnegan. Oh. Seamus is the one who outright doesn't believe anything Harry's saying. His best friend Ernie is like, "Eh, actually, I believe you, too. My parents support Dumbledore. So this might be the beginning of Harry thinking maybe it's not so everyone against me. You know, he's uh, starting to see that maybe some of his his students, his his co-students or whoever are on his side. So it's good for him. Uh, Harry heads over to detention with Umbridge. And what is his unusual and unusually harsh punishment? Um, um, Professor Umbridge says that. He will be writing lines, and he's like, oh, this isn't going to be so bad. He takes that, he's going to take out a quill from his bag, 
Um, but then professor. And, and we don't say this term in America. This is a, a UK term. But what does writing lines mean? Writing lines. The, the normal definition. What would you have to do if someone said write lines? You would have to um, write um, the same sentence over and over. Yeah, we would say like writing sentences or copying sentences or something like that. So go ahead. Yeah, not writing lines like just drawing a bunch of lines. Right. Um, um, so he's going to take out a quill from his backpack, but then Umbridge says, You won't be needing that. You'll be using special quill of mine. Right. So, um, she takes a quill that's black, um, and gives it to Harry, um, and then he tries to write, but then he realizes he doesn't have any ink. Yeah, so what's he gonna use? Is he supposed to get his own ink, or does Umbridge have some for him? Um, Umbridge just says, start writing, boy. So so he starts writing. Because he's expecting there to be a, uh... He's expecting there to be, the way they write is with a quill and ink where they would dip a, a dry quill into ink and then scrape it on paper. and Yeah, and then do that over and over and over again. Sure. But um, but Umbridge doesn't give him any ink. So, that, um, so he actually ends up um, having, um, he adds, actually ends up writing in red ink it looks like. And his hand starts searing with pain. Yeah, he's trying to write on paper, and this is not uh, not your typical homework situation, not your typical uh, detention situation. The things he's writing on the paper are appearing on his hand as scratches, basically, right? And the ink is his own blood. So, yeah, he figures that out after a few lines. But does he stop? No, he doesn't want to show Umbridge the um, her enjoyment of um, showing Harry, um, seeing Harry's weakness, basically. Yeah, he doesn't want to give her the satisfaction of knowing that your punishment is getting to me. He wants to grit his teeth and bear the pain and uh, make it through it because he knows that she is the kind of sadistic... Uh, just, you know, just shy of evil person that is going to not only take pleasure from the fact that she has punished a student, but she's going to take pleasure from the fact that she, that he's in physical pain, right? Yeah. Uh, all of that's gross. She's gross. She's terrible. Uh, but Harry's not going to give her the satisfaction is what you're saying. Yes. Um, also, did you tell them what um, um, she told him to write? Oh yes, tell me tell me what Harry's actual punishment was. What is he supposed to be writing? I will not tell lies. What lies has Harry told in Umbridge's eyes? Uh um to her the um the lie is that Voldemort is back. Now, the interesting thing about this is we don't have any reason to suspect at this point that Umbridge is on Voldemort's side, right? Um it seems like she actually doesn't believe he's back. She believes the ministry, but she believes Fudge above all else. Fudge and Voldemort are becoming very similar characters at this point in this book, right? Right. What what characteristics do they have in common? What do they want more than anything else? Power. 
different kinds of power. Voldemort wants power over everything, essentially. He wants the power to control life and death of all people everywhere. Mm. Primarily death. He wants to be able to, you know, kill whoever <laughs> he wants. And That is true. He wants to be worshipped like a god, basically. Just like he killed C- Cedric. And what, what kind of power does Fudge want? He wants... What kind of power does Fudge want? He wants to be... Um... It's political power. He wants government power. So he wants the whole UK wizarding world to be under his control. Basically his rules. And so if he has a decision, he wants everyone to follow his he wants everyone to follow his orders. Um, so following Voldemort and following Fudge blindly aren't so different now. You could almost say that Umbridge is the ministry equivalent of a Death Eater. Right? Right. Uh, She's blindly following orders. She's doing nefarious things. She's uh, certainly acting against the true best interests of the students and and of the people, of the, the, the wizarding people. And she's very strongly opposed to Dumbledore. Yeah. Now, is this to say that Dumbledore is flawless? Is he always 100% right? Uh, no. Um, like, he's not always right, but he still is pretty good. His goals are different. See, there's a, there's a big difference in never being wrong and always trying to do the right thing. Dumbledore always tries to do the right thing, not for himself, but for the betterment of his people, which in this case are primarily his students, and then secondarily the wizarding world at large. He wants to protect his students, but he also wants to keep Voldemort from terrorizing everything. Yeah. Destroying their way of life. Right. Um, You will see as these books go on, Dumbledore will make more and more mistakes. He will have bad judgment, but he's never selfish and he never seeks power. For instance, right now, what is Dumbledore doing that is making Harry very upset? Are they communicating well this year? No. Dumbledore is ignoring Harry this year. Uh, that may turn out to be a mistake. He's He must have his reasons. But right now, Harry is so upset about it. Do you think Dumbledore could see that as a mistake? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see as the book goes on. So the difference is, Dumbledore wants what's best for everybody. Fudge and Voldemort want power. Umbridge is serving somebody that only wants power and they are very staunchly against Dumbledore. So uh, Harry is stubborn above all else. I think, you know, more so than he is brave or smart. He's stubborn and he's not going to let her see that he is uh, being punished basically by her. Well, not like a bad stubborn, but It depends on on the, on the specific circumstance. He he sticks to his guns, but it it gets him in trouble. His inability to well, it's a bit of stubbornness and pigheadedness, but also recklessness. Harry jumps into things without plans, or he wants to at least, and Hermione kind of reins him in. So his stubbornness and his foolhardiness are not his best characteristics. In this case, though. 
he's using his stubbornness to to stick stay true to his beliefs that Umbridge is bad, you know, and that <laughs> and that his punishment is unfair. Harry doesn't like unfairness. Harry wants people to be treated with justice, and he does not see that justice is being done in this case right now. Uh, Ron is kind of sneaking around with his new broom, a clean sweep 11, certainly not as nice as perhaps a Nimbus 2000 or a Firebolt, but probably better than whatever hand-me-down broom he could have gotten from home, right? Yes. I wonder if he saved his money or if someone bought that for him. I don't remember how he got the broom. Uh, um, his mom wanted to buy him anything he wanted, um, after discovering that he became prefect. Oh, that's a reward for being a prefect. That's right. So he gets a new broom. What is his secret plan for this broom? To get on the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Yeah, he wants to uh, stop being such a Quidditch looky-loo and be a participant, right? Yeah, he wants to stop. He wants. He still he wants to still be a fan, but he also wants to be in the Quidditch business. Do you think he has always wanted to play and he has been too ashamed that he probably couldn't afford a nice broom or whatever it is he would need to play Quidditch? Maybe when he was a little bit younger, he just didn't really think about it. But once he actually ended up thinking about it, then he's like, oh, wow, that seems actually really cool. Yeah, and, well, I wonder. I I wonder how much of Ron's motivation is based on his love for the game or uh, and and finally deciding, you know, because Ron's kind of lazy, you know? He's not, uh, he doesn't study a lot, and he... He hasn't really applied himself yet to anything other than helping Harry not die, <laughs> which he's pretty good at. And maybe he doesn't realize why he's good at it. He's good at it because he's actually pretty brave and occasionally really smart. He just uh, no one really gives him credit, you know. So for the first time in his life, I th- he's either thinking I can apply myself. I can do a thing. <laughs> you know, I can I can I can actually try and be good at something uh, or he's thinking since mom offered and we have the money and I can get a nice broom, maybe I can finally do Quidditch. And that's kind of my dream is to be involved with Quidditch. So what's he going to try out for? What's his position? Um, um, Wood left um, Hogwarts last year because um, it was his seventh year. So he, um, so he was keeper, so now there's auditions for being keepers. Yeah, so. Wood was not only the captain, but keeper. Angelina is now captain, the captain, so they need a new keeper. Harry, while he's doing his torture punishment, can see the Quidditch pitch from his window. He can't quite make out what's going on. Yeah, he can see the that some people are doing really well, some people are doing horrible, some people are in between, but he can't quite make out the... And he doesn't know Ron's out there at all, because Ron's been keeping this a secret, maybe because he's embarrassed if he does really bad. He doesn't want anyone to know. That's right. He tells us later. So, Umbridge comes over, and to kind of check on Harry's, you know, pain progress, and what happens? What unusual uh, reaction does Harry have to Umbridge's presence? His scar starts hurting. What typically makes his scar hurt? When Voldemort is either gaining power or Voldemort is near him. So, 
What can we assume about Umbridge at this point? She might be in some kind of league with Voldemort, just doesn't want to admit it. Either she knows or she doesn't know. She could be under the Imperious Curse. She could be possessed by Voldemort. She could be a secret spy for Voldemort. Anything's possible. Also, uh, I um, I forgot to mention that um, his hand um, doesn't just stay bloody for a really long time. Um, Like, he discovers that it actually scabs up really, really quickly. Yeah, so it's not as bad as a really, like, taking a knife and scratching your hand open, but it sure is worse than not doing any of that, you know? I mean, it hurts (laughs) a lot worse than... Uh, just writing lines on paper. Do you think Dumbledore had final say-so on this punishment? No, no, I don't no, think he no. would have agreed, right? No. So that means Umbridge is acting outside of the control of Hogwarts. She's reporting directly to the Ministry. She's getting her orders from Fudge. She's ignoring Dumbledore. In this particular instance, she might even be more in control of Hogwarts than Dumbledore, which gets... More and more evident as the chapters go on. Uh, she lets Harry go after the scar pain situation. He heads back to the common room, and what does he find out about Ron's Quidditch dreams? Um, that he ha- um, has been trying out for Seeker. And, um, no, no, not Ron hasn't been trying out for Seeker. No, not Seeker. I mean, uh, Keeper. Well, he finds out that Ron is, is the new the Keeper. keeper. And Angelina kind of says, yeah, we didn't have a lot of great choices this time, which I don't think Ron hears because that probably would make him feel pretty bad. Uh, What does that say for Gryffindor Quidditch for this season? I mean, Keeper's a really important position. And if they think they don't have a strong one, you think they're going to do okay? Maybe not. Um, It's going to be up to Ron to really up his game and and be uh, an important member of the team, right? Uh-huh. And and um they actually bump into each other near the common room painting. Um so um um he tries to hide the scar and um I think Ron tries to hide the broom. Um and he's like, What's going on? And like, I won't tell you if you don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, Harry doesn't want to even talk about what he's just been through. He's not necessarily ashamed, but Perhaps he doesn't want the other kids to know how bad things are. Uh, Hermione suggests, he tells her that his scar hurt when in Umbridge's presence. Hermione suggests that she's probably not under the Imperious Curse or being directly controlled by Voldemort, but that he should still talk to Dumbledore. Harry doesn't feel like he's able to talk to Dumbledore this year, so who does he decide to talk to? Um. Who's he going to meet in the fireplace? Oh, Sirius. Yeah, he thinks that Sirius might have better advice. Than Dumbledore. Which probably isn't true, but maybe Dumbledore would refuse to talk to Harry. He's not being very open, so... Yeah, um... Uh, he actually doesn't want to talk to Dumbledore because, um, he's afraid that, um, that Dumbledore would, um, talk to Umbridge about it. And then Umbridge would also get the satisfaction of knowing that it started hurting so bad that he wanted to. That's true. He doesn't want he doesn't want her to find out in any way that he couldn't handle it and that she was stronger than he was. Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. Uh, Harry's going to write this letter to Sirius to say we need to talk. 
you know, bad stuff's going on. This lady's here. She's doing crazy punishments. She's torturing kids, at least me. He heads out for the Owlry. And uh, during his walk, um, let's see, who does he run into in the Owlry? Cho Chang. Cho Chang is there. What's she doing? She's sending a letter to somebody. She's sending a package and a letter. It's her mother's birthday, so she wanted to send her a gift. What is she? What's their exchange like? What do they talk about? Um, I don't really remember. I know Filch comes in and he accuses Harry of ordering dung bombs, which makes me think that... That's right. Uh, maybe Filch has been reading Harry's mail, perhaps for Umbridge? N- no, uh, actually, um, I remember on the way to the Owlry, um, Filch's cat is um, r- runs into him, and then um, she... It looks like she's running off to tell Filch something, which I don't know how that's possible. Um, the but, cat is somehow more magical than Filch. Filch can't do yeah. magic, but the cat seems to be able to spy for him. But that, um, but then he's like, what? I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, but in, in Cho sticks up for Harry that he's not uh, you know, doing anything nefarious. They, I feel like they had some other exchange about... Uh, Cedric, I think they talk about Cedric and it gets weird because it's kind of obvious at this point that they maybe have crushes on each other, but there's this weirdness between them about Cedric. At least in the movie, that's what happens. I don't quite remember what they talk about in the book. I do because I haven't watched the movie. That's true. Uh, Hermione looks the Daily Prophet and there's a there's an article about Sirius. What does it say? Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it says that somebody may have spotted him in London. Right. And Harry assumes it's going to be Lucius Malfoy because uh, somebody might be, you know, keeping an eye out for him. If anybody, it's going to be him. They also see an article that Sturgis Podmore has been arrested and because he was trying to break into a top security area at the Ministry of Magic. Who is Sturgis Podmore? He's the guard that was supposed to help um, help Harry and the other guys get to platform nine and three quarters. But he's the one that didn't show up, right? Yeah, he like you said in the last episode, he's one of their guards, um, and he didn't show up. So my question is, is Sturgis Podmore actually on their side since he didn't show up, and now he's trying to break into the ministry? Or did he do it on purpose? Or is he doing something for Voldemort? Breaking into the ministry. Or did he do it on purpose? Do what on purpose? Get arrested. Oh, I see. Do you think he's trying to break into Azkaban? Uh, Maybe something like that. Yeah, that's that's not a bad theory. So we've got to find... So either way, it seems like maybe Sturgis Podmore, as a member of the Order of the Phoenix, is perhaps someone we can't trust. His his goings-on have been less than reliable. There's our cat. (laughs) So he's got six months in Azkaban, and he was ordered there by the Wizengamot. Uh, Hermione says, you know what? Forget all this stuff. we got to work on homework. Homework is becoming a bigger deal this year because of the owls and newts, where in previous years, Harry was able to get by on just sort of dumb luck and being a, a halfway decent student and, like, copying Hermione. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, it's becoming more of an issue, right? Yeah. There's more homework. There's more... Schoolwork. So Harry's got more on his plate, not only trying to stay alive, 
in the, in spite of all these dangers and not only all this garbage with Umbridge, but he's actually got real schoolwork to do now that's kind of bothering him, right? Yes. So, so far, it feels like most of those are jobs. Yeah, it's like Harry's holding down like five or six jobs and <laughs> the other kids don't have nearly as much responsibility because no evil wizards are trying to kill them that we know of. <laughs> so uh, they go to their first Quidditch practice. Uh, this is going to be the first time that Harry and Ron are on the same team. That's being bad. Okay. Uh, so they're going, they go on their first Quidditch practice that is together uh, on the same team. And Ron doesn't, isn't off to a great start. Uh, do you remember the accident he's involved in? Um, he, he's always off to one, to one of the hoops, either left or right, not in the middle. So. And then in doing some sort of uh, maneuver, he gives Katie a nosebleed. Fred accidentally gives Katie a blood blister pod. Yeah, he wanted to give her the half that makes you not not bleed. Have your... he gives her the wrong side. He's like, oh. Because this is one of their skiving snacks that would let you fake a nosebleed and then fix it once you get let go. He's like, oh no. So they made it worse. And so now she's got to go to Madame Pomfrey. Practice is concluded and it seems like it's Ron's fault. It's definitely Weasley's fault. Only Weasleys were involved. <laughs> in the uh, the damages to another student. Oh, also, um, he does end up actually making. Wait, is this during the game or during practice? I don't know. What What are you thinking? Uh, where he um, turned around on his broom and then kicked the quaffle out of somebody else's hoop. I don't remember. I, I know that he doesn't do great in his first practice. They uh, that evening. Ron receives a letter from Percy by by the Owl Hermes, and Percy does not have great things to say, at least as far as Ron is concerned. What does Percy suggest that Ron do this year? Uh, he hears that Ron has been made prefect and that he's very proud of him, and then he's glad that... Uh, he's glad that... He has given up on all that garbage uh, um, that Harry and Dumbledore are saying. So. Now he thinks that Ron's on his side because he's a prefect. That, and that literally has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, Ron doesn't even understand the implication that somehow being a prefect would make him more like Percy. Yeah, he he doesn't. He didn't even expect to be a prefect. Like, he doesn't understand why he's a prefect. I also kind of think that maybe Ron's not doing anything differently as a prefect. Like, <laughs> he might not be doing the prefect's job. He might not really be yeah, helping he, the younger kids. Or, yeah, he's mostly um, just being like, oh, that's cool, dude. Just he, do whatever. Yeah, he's just being Ron. Uh Hermione's taking it more seriously. Hermione takes everything more seriously. So that's not <laughs> hard to imagine. Percy though implies this year you need to distance yourself from Harry and from Dumbledore. And he also mentions what about Dumbledore's future at Hogwarts? That he's n probably not going to be headmaster much longer. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a secret that he's let slip. That's not something that anybody was expecting. It seems like this is something they should run immediately to Dumbledore and tell him. But they don't really have a line to Dumbledore this year, so they don't. Harry talks to Sirius in the fireplace that night. They mention the scar hurting, 
And Sirius tells him that Lupin doesn't like Dolores Umbridge. Do you remember why? Um, nah. When she was in the ministry, she passed a law that was uh, very anti-werewolf. Oh, that's right. Because in her opinion, all half-human creatures half are breed. evil. Like, not half-breeds, like... Uh, Part-humans is what they call them. Yeah, part... Um, like, uh, mermen are not allowed or something. And, well, people, the... What are the guys with the horse bodies? The uh, centaurs, uh, giants, anything that is not... Trolls. Uh, trolls? I think trolls are more animals. I could be wrong. Oh. I think giants are closer to humans than trolls. But anything of, you know, regular human intellect, but with not a normal, like a, a human body, anything that's part animal or part creature of some kind, she hates them. She wants them subjugated uh, either killed or imprisoned or slaved. She's uh, also under the impression that all werewolves are evil. And we know that not to be true. We know that Lupin is still the same man he is. His werewolf can't really be trusted because it's an animal that wants to kill things. But it's not his fault. But it doesn't make him evil. Now, the bad thing for him is that a lot of werewolves are evil. Also, uh, that that brings me up to a funny thing. Uh, I was reading um, a um, a book a book um, called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them from the Hogwarts Library. Uh huh. Um, and um, it told you uh, about werewolves. And Harry and Ron put some notes in there. And um, it's it um, once you got to the werewolf part. It said werewolves um werewolves aren't that bad. <laughs> yeah, they're they're talking about their friend. Uh, so they write their own note that says even though this book says that werewolves are all nasty, we know that some aren't. I think the the biggest problem is that especially in the previous Wizarding War, werewolves tended to side with Voldemort because they were kind of powerful and scary. Uh, but we know Lupin wouldn't do that. Right. And the final thing that Sirius reveals is the whole purpose of the ministry's fear of Dumbledore right now. What does What is Fudge afraid that Dumbledore is going to do? Um, he thinks he's going to turn the students into, some, into something. What does he think they're going to be? Uh, against Voldemort? No, he thinks that Dumbledore is going to turn the students into his own personal army. Oh. To fight the ministry, to overthrow the ministry. Now... Oh, that's right. There's actually a chapter called Dumbledore's Army. Well, that's what we're getting to. Now, does Dumbledore want the ministry? Hasn't he been offered... The position of head, head uh, of prime minister or minister of magic over and over and over and turned it down. Yes, he's like, uh, thank you for the offer, but no, I I would ra- I would rather be in charge of Hogwarts. It is very happy here. So why, under any circumstances, would Dumbledore take something by force that he's been offered billions of times, at least a few? Uh, why why would he have to fight for something he could have had whenever he wanted? That just shows how paranoid Fudge is and how his decision-making is is very cloudy right now. 
Chapter 15, The Hogwarts High Inquisitor. The next issue of the Daily Prophet announces that Umbridge has a new position that she and Fudge have created, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. Do you know what an Inquisitor is? A questionnaire? Basically, it's a it's a good way to put it. It's a question asker. It's a supposedly a seeker of truth uh, in history. Anyone calling themselves an Inquisitor or an Inquisition typically is doing the opposite. They're not actually searching for the truth. They are looking for people to blame for things that they didn't do. They are looking to get rid of people they don't like for any reason whatsoever. And so there's a reason she's called the Inquisitor. There's a historical impact that lets you know right away that she is not really going to be doing the job that she is supposed to be doing. Yeah, sort of like Percy when he's writing down the notes. We assume that he's going to write stuff, not the truth, uh, um, but stuff to make Fudge look good and stay in control. Right, exactly, exactly. When Percy was doing the uh, the minutes at the Wizengamot, then yes, they are trying to bend history to their their own narrative, which is a very dangerous thing for someone who is paranoid and afraid and ruled by fear and uh, untrustworthy of the truth and all sorts of things like Fudge is. Uh, Fudge was a very, what do you want to say? Fudge was a very sort of innocuous character early on. He didn't seem to pose any real threats. And very quickly, he has turned into a second grave enemy for Harry in addition to Voldemort. Like I don't think Harry realizes it at this point that Fudge is really his second most powerful enemy. Like, um, really when um like after he heard that Voldemort was going to be back, he was like, Oh no. Then he started being an ultimate enemy to like everybody well, who didn't believe. It's not him. that he it's not that he was afraid because Voldemort is back. He was afraid that people were saying it and that he would lose power because of it. I don't even know if he cares if Voldemort's back or not. He doesn't want it to be true. I don't even know if he cares about the truth. So what is the what is the purpose of Umbridge as the High Inquisitor? What is she going to be doing at Hogwarts? She's going to be going to specific classes. Um, um, like every class she's going to be going to one of the ones that is being taught at the time. And, um... She's going to be sitting in on every class, every teacher, and deciding if they're doing their jobs right. Well, yeah, and... what What's she really doing? Uh, she's trying to make all the teachers at Hogwarts look bad and um, um, give them to the minister, um, Cornelius Fudge, and she's trying to find out which teachers are in line with what Fudge wants. So if you've got a teacher who's just teaching the curriculum, the way it's written, not outside the lines uh, and doing the thing, you know, teaching the ministry approved text, they're probably okay. What if like, let's say Hagrid was still there. Do you think he would pass? No, no, it's probably a good thing. Hagrid's not there right now, but, think Hagrid's going to have a run-in with Umbridge later. So she's going to be inspecting the professors and reporting back to the ministry. Two members of the Wizengamot, the the highest wizard court, 
are so angry about this that the ministry is meddling in Hogwarts. They resigned. They don't want anything to do with this. And uh, in Divination, this is the first time we see Umbridge inspecting a teacher, right? Right. How does that go with Professor Trelawney? Uh, um, once she actually starts um, asking um, her questions that are kind of personal and mean, she, um, she starts getting really angry and kind of stiff. Yeah, Umbridge says, um, you know, and have you ever made a prediction that came true? And she's like, I am the great granddaughter of the great seer, Cassandra, or great Cassandra Trelawney. How dare you? And she says, uh, she also says, uh, the in- make a prediction right now. She says, the inner eye does not see upon request. Or upon command, or something like that. <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, make a prediction. Let's see it. You know, because everyone pretty much knows that Trelawney's not great at her job. Fraud, fake, whatever. Well, she's not a bad person, but she's not a, she's not a seer. We don't know why she's around yet. We'll find out later why Dumbledore thinks she's valuable. Okay. But uh, at this point, we don't know. And certainly Umbridge can't see. I probably kind of know. What benefit? You, you think you know? So, why? So partly. Okay. Well, do you want to say why? Do you want me to? Is it just a guess? Uh, no. They actually said it in the book, and I've said it in a few podcasts already. Oh well, then just say it. Why do you think she's valuable? Uh, because like you, like we've said in a few podcasts, he, she actually makes good predictions, but most of them she can't remember. Yeah, she makes them by accident, but we don't really know why that's important enough yet for. Dumbledore to keep her on staff at the best wizarding school in the world if she's the worst divination teacher in the world. I feel like anyone that doesn't have powers might be a better divination teacher than Trelawney. Eh. But she says... Except for the Dursleys. She's under she's under stress at this point to, to perform. So she fakes another prediction. What does she say to Umbridge? You will have a suffering. A grave danger. You're in grave danger. She she's making, That's what she says about everybody. She she but I think this time she's actually making that uh on purpose for like a reason like she she do, she already knows she doesn't like Umbridge so she wants to think that her prediction that she will be in um in danger come true. She she wants her to be in danger, sure, absolutely, but she's this is not a real prediction. She's kind of just hoping that Umbridge might be in grave danger. <laughs> I think everybody is. Uh, Harry and Hermione hand on to uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts, and obviously Umbridge is not inspecting that class because that's her class. <laughs> so she's obviously thinks her lessons are perfect. Yeah, she uh, like I was saying to Mommy, she's not going to think of her class as anything horrible. Yeah, now <laughs> Harry gets another week of detention because he can't keep his mouth shut. Harry shows up to Transfiguration... And there's Umbridge again. Now, how many students are in Harry's year? Do you know? Um, let's see. If there's a, uh, there's probably about uh, f- um, twenty to forty students. There's forty. In his year. There's forty in his year. So, um, the yes. Yeah, so there's. 
four houses, so that means there's ten students in each house. Right, but they all have classes together. So, so there's about forty kids in Harry's entire year, but the professors have like seven to eight classes or more each. Three times in one day, Umbridge has shown up in Harry's classes. That seems coincidentally impossible, right? Yeah, she's probably going there um, just to be um, with with Harry to try and get him in trouble. Yes, it is safe to assume at this point, and Harry probably does not even realize this, that Umbridge is not only spying on the teachers, but very particularly spying on him for the minister. Otherwise, he might not see her at all if she was checking out each teacher once. What are the odds that she would always be in Harry's class? Pretty astronomical. So she is certainly paying more attention. She is paying more attention to Harry than she is to any other student. And I know that we know why. We know that Fudge fears Harry and and what he's saying about Voldemort. I don't think Harry gets it at this point. But in... So yeah, Harry gets more uh, detention. And then in McGonagall's class... She's there again. Uh, she's also in care of magical creatures with Grubbly Plank. Again. Now, Grubbly Plank is taking a much more ministry-approved curriculum for care of magical creatures, right? She's not bringing yes. in monsters. Yeah, she's bringing in simple, not very dangerous creatures. These are all the things they need to know for their OWLs. They've got unicorns, nifflers... Neasles, Porlocks, Krups, and Gnarls. These are all basic magical creatures that probably aren't going to kill students. Like, they're not hostile. It brings out a good point that as much as we all love Hagrid, he's probably... Not the best teacher. And and here's a very clear distinction to make. He is a good teacher. If you wanted to know what Hagrid knows, he is a good person to impart wisdom well, yes. He's maybe not the best professor. He's not willing to follow even the normal non-ministry meddled with curriculum. He's it, it would be like if you had an animals class at your school and instead of teaching you about birds and cows and dogs and cats, they only taught you about alligators and pumas. <laughs> And jaguars and sharks. And, and shark, great white sharks, tigers, killer whales, things that could kill you, you know, and and not only taught you about them, but like brought them to your classroom so they maybe could eat you. And cheetahs, yeah, cheetahs might eat you. I don't know. They probably eat a little kid before they have grown up. <laughs> and throw you in front of a cheetah if there's everyone chasing <laughs> you. So uh, it's 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 safe to assume that Hagrid is a good person with a lot of knowledge. Maybe he shouldn't be teaching a professor. The stuff he's teaching. Yeah, maybe he should just be a friend, you know, and a mentor, but not necessarily a professor. But, like maybe be um, the groundskeeper he used to be. Like Harry. It, like it seemed like he didn't think of it uh, as bad. Like it didn't seem. He liked like his job. He's very proud of being a professor now. He is proud of being reinstated into the world of magic, and he is proud of. Although he can't, he still can't use magic. He, he probably can. The he books the books never make a point to show him doing it, which is odd to me. He never actually pulls out a wand on purpose other than his hidden wand in his broom or in his umbrella. But 
I think it may just be because he's used to it now. He's used to not doing spells. We never once see Hagrid do a spell ever other than using his broom to give fire uh, Dudley a tail or to make fire in the fireplace. Yeah, he never broom. I keep saying broom. It's umbrella. Anyway, uh, Harry goes to his second detention. How's his hand doing? It um, Now it doesn't seal up as quickly because it's happened so much. Yeah, it's happening over the same injury. He's, he's reopening the same wound. That's no good. Uh, Hermione has some healing liquid that helps him out. But Hermione's got a drastic conclusion to all this. She's got a, a very severe um, decision or what am I trying to say? Suggestion for Harry. What does Hermione suggest those kids do to take care of themselves? Um, the, um, they end up saying maybe we should form a defense against the dark arts club. Um, and who should be the teacher? Harry. Why does she think Harry would be a good teacher? Uh, weirdly, she says that Harry's the one who knows all the spells, but she's probably the one who knows all the most spells. This is a, this is actually a quote from JK Rowling. I don't have the exact quote, but I read an article where she said, if you had asked me in year three, who would win in a wizard duel between Harry and Hermione? It would be Hermione. She's done all the studying. She knows all the spells. If you were to ask me in year four, it would be Harry. Do you know why? Because he's the one who's gone through the Triwizard Tournament. The Triwizard Tournament. Exactly. He had to learn so much and apply it practically to stay alive during the Triwizard Tournament. Sort of like in Lupin's class where he brought the monsters in and then they did it. He's Harry is now a better defensive wizard than probably anyone else at Hogwarts, any other student, because he's the only person currently alive, because Cedric's not there anymore. He's the only person still alive who has had to do these things in a seemingly life-and-death situation. So, for instance, if you had read a bunch of books about uh, jumping over chasms, and you were like, yep, I've read everything there is to know about jumping over a huge crack in the dirt. But then a huge crack in the dirt opens up and you have to jump over it to stay alive. You don't know how. That Well, if you do have to do it and you survive, you probably know more about it now than you did. When it, you read that any, book. Yeah, any amount of reading or studying. The actual doing of something, especially when your life is on the line, is the best teacher, you know, in this case. Um, these kids can read all they want about defensive spells and attacks and how to how to defeat the dark arts. This guy's done it. And so he, he might be able to say, the book says, you know, the book says to use this spell when you're actually being attacked by Voldemort. You might need to use, use it this other one. Spell. Yeah, use this other one. It works better. You know, his experience is more valuable than theories at this point so harry doesn't understand why harry doesn't believe her yet but hermione's right harry's the most experienced uh defense against the dark arts child (laughs) probably in the whole world right now (laughs) i can't imagine any other kids are going through what he's going through 
Chapter 16, The Hogshead. Except for, like you said, Cedric, who's dead. And Cedric had not been... Cedric was good, but nobody was actively trying to kill him until someone killed him. Harry's been getting used to it for years, you know? Yeah. Chapter 16, The Hogshead. What is The Hogshead? Um, it's a pub, um... Is it a nice pub? No, hardly anyone ever goes in there. Um, it's really dirty. Um, only elder people go in there. But um, Hermione asked Filch if they could go in there. And he said, it's fine, but you better bring your own glasses. Because their glasses are dirty. That's pretty gross. Yeah, they wa- they wash their glasses with um, nothing but a dirty rag. And it's it's not only just dirty, it's kind of seedy. The characters that are there don't seem maybe like the most trustworthy. It's certainly not somewhere for kids to hang out, but that's exactly why they go there, right? Yeah. Well, why? Do, first of all, why do Harry, Hermione, and Ron go to the Hogshead? Why do they encourage other kids to go to the Hogshead? Because this is, and, I'm, and again, this is during their next Hogsmeade weekend, which Harry is now allowed to go to because he has a permanent pass from his godfather, the escaped murderer. So, Black. yeah. Um, and there's uh, like three wizards in there, not including the guy who's running it. Um, and there's also a witch. Yeah, there's a witch with a black veil. There's a guy with his head wrapped in dirty bandages. There's some guys in hoods. But what is the purpose? Why did Hermione suggest they go there and invite other students? Because nobody ever goes. No, no, no. Why are they even going there oh, at all? Because um, um, they're going to try and um, form students for that secret um, uh, that secret defense against the dark art society thingy. Right, and they need a secret place because they know they'd get in trouble if they if they if they brought this to anyone's attention. Like I, if they did it in um, in the three broomsticks. Everybody is like yeah. The three room six is a nice there. place. It's a nice place. There's going to be tons of teachers and students there, tons of people that would rat him out too. And certainly, there's going to be some Slytherins there that would rat him out. Yeah, because and they like, know that what Slyth- they're doing is not okay with the school because Umbridge has already made it clear that dark arts is to be read about, but not actually defended practically. There's not going to be any doing of spells. And the Slytherins. They like to get butterbeer. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> sure, sure. So so they go. They don't know if anyone's going to show up. To their astonishment... There's like 28 kids there. Yeah, 28 kids show up. It's, a, it's an odd group. It's kids they know, like Neville. And it's kids they kind of know, like the Patel sisters and, and Mer- Cho. And Murray McMillan. And then there's kids that have already said they don't trust Harry, like Lavender Brown. Ernie McMillan. Uh, well, no, Ernie says he does like him. Uh, Seamus. There's uh, there's also this guy called Zachariah Smith. Yeah, this real uh, tall, handsome guy who's kind of a jerk, but he seems like maybe he's not so bad. Fred and George show up. Lee Jordan shows up. Uh, it's a good mix of kids that they both trust and maybe don't know that well. Uh, turns out, everyone's not really there to learn about dark arts. Why? What does everyone want to know? Um, they want to know, they want to hear Harry's speech 
about something. They want to know Harry's side of the story about what happened to Cedric. Also, also, um, there's um, Fred, George, Lee, um, Michael, Corner, and Ginny. Yeah, that's that's not important. Let, let's talk about what why these kids are there. What what they want to hear sort of the gruesome details about Cedric's death. Does Harry want to tell that story? No. Who would? He doesn't want to, A he doesn't want to relive it. B he doesn't want to besmirch Cedric's memory by sort of like being like, "Yeah, it was awesome. Voldemort pulled out his wand and killed him." You know, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be that guy. He wants to let Cedric rest in peace and he's saying, "Look, Hermione's gathered these guys here to say we need to form a defense against the Dark Arts Club because no one's going to teach us. Voldemort is back. And whether your parents or your professors or anyone or the ministry believes it or not, we're all in danger for real from dying. We must learn to protect ourselves and we are not being taught this year. Yeah, it's sort of like um, a, a tiny apocalypse. Or a big one on the way. Certainly. These are certainly the uh, the foreshadowings of, a, of at least a like the, medium to moderate sized apocalypse. Like those guys should be terrified and be getting ready because it. But Voldemort, no one's being no one's being honest with them. Like Voldemort really is back. You got to believe this. So Harry and- says, I don't want to tell this story about Cedric. If that's why you're here. Get out. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing this game. If you want to learn about. How to take care of yourself when a dark wizard's trying to kill you, then maybe I can help you. This is the first time that Harry has accepted this role that Hermione has thrust him into. He's like, you know what? Actually, I do know how to take care of myself, and I do want to help you stay alive. If all you want is gossip about the dead kid, I can't help you. Then people start to speak up. What do they start saying about Harry? Um, People actually start saying... You know what, Harry? Uh, we if anybody did co- if any of us did come for that, then we shouldn't have. Uh, so, um, so, so how about anyone who's um, who's just ready to hear the story of how uh, um, Cedric got murdered by Voldemort? Then get out. Yeah, what he says is what makes me say you know who is back. I saw him, but Dumbledore told the whole school what happened last year, and if you didn't believe him, you don't believe me, I'm not wasting my time. But what do the kids start saying about Harry? Um, They start saying that they believe him. Well, what specifically happens is people like Cho and Ginny start speaking up and saying, I've seen Harry do this, and I've seen Harry do do that. I've seen Harry do a Patronus. I bet you didn't know he could do that. I've and then they're all like, what? Because that, that's when Harry realizes none of these kids have been privy to his adventures. They don't know firsthand what he can do, but some of them know bits and pieces. Yeah, but nobody knows how to do Patronus at all, except for Harry. The kids sure don't. And they've learned basic dueling, but they've never had to do it to save their lives. One of the kids steps up. I think this might be Zachariah who steps up. Is that his name? Zacharias. Yeah, he steps up and says, look, I don't think a 
Expelliarmus is going to help against Voldemort. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah? You know what? I used an Expelliarmus against Voldemort last June, and, and it, it saved, saved my, my life. life. Yeah. So how about that, buddy? He's like, oh, okay. Uh, and then he shuts up. Yeah, and he doesn't leave. He's like, I'm out of here. And then he doesn't leave, and he stays there. So Harry's starting to realize here, ooh, geez, I might actually be kind of an awesome wizard. Not, not getting full of himself, but just understanding that his skill level is higher than the other kids. He, he hasn't really had time. A lot of Harry's ignorance comes from the fact that he never gets time to stop and think about his life. He's always in the process of saving his own life or being saved. He never has time to just chill out and think about what he's been through and what he's going through and what he's learned. Um, this is his. Um, this is his timeline for the day. Classes Quidditch saving. Classes Quidditch saving. Classes Quidditch saving. And repeat. Yeah. Basically, that's correct. And so Harry doesn't have a lot of time to reflect and. This is forcing him, just by saying these things out loud, to realize he probably is qualified to teach these kids how to save themselves. Uh, Hermione has a suggestion and pulls out a piece of parchment. What does she say? We all, um, everybody writes their names down um, um, one, for one so they can remember who's in the club. Um, and two, that... If you sign this paper, then everybody who signs it has to swear that they will not tell anybody, especially Umbridge, about that. So we're going to find out later another reason why she did this. But I got to say, yeah, if uh, you're having a secret meeting that you don't want anyone to know about, having everybody sign their name saying they were there is just creating evidence. You probably don't want to do that. Uh, so this is a situation but, where Hermione's maybe not making the best decision. Yeah, for one reason she did, for another reason she didn't. And we'll find out soon why it was a good reason. So, chapter 17, educational decree number 24. Uh, the, Harry and Ron walk downstairs. Very matter-of-factly. <laughs> Harry, and Ron walk, Harry and Ron walk downstairs, and they see a new sign on the wall that decrees uh, that High Inquisitor Umbridge has banned all student meetings... Teams, meetings, clubs, everything. Without permission. So she permits sanctioned meetings like Quidditch, but she must give permission. Now that they've had this meeting, what do you think that makes them feel about this new decree? That meetings are banned. Student meetings are banned. Maybe somebody told Umbridge. And this is where we find out um, Hermione says nobody could have. Why? I, I th- um, she says, I think we would notice somebody with a bubbly face. And why is that? They're like, what? 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 Um, and she's like, I put, a, I put a charm on that paper everybody signed. So if anybody told, the paper would know and it would give them um, um, boils and bumps on their face. Yeah, so she's jinxed the paper to find out if anyone tells on them. So Hermione's thinking ahead. She is trying to find a way to at least partially secure their secret from anyone. Now, it's not going to stop anyone from telling because... They didn't know. They didn't know, but it would help them know if someone did tell. Not the best plan. Still, maybe not a great idea to have a physical record of all the people in their secret club for someone else to find. 
Uh, Harry goes to uh, or gets a letter from Hedwig and Hedwig sees that Harry's hurt. She sees the scars on his hand. Hegwood. Hegwood. <laughs> Harry leaves, uh, leaves class and goes to the staff room to see Grubbly Plank. She looks at Hedwig and says Hedwig has been attacked by something. She suggests that maybe it's Thestrals. And do you, again, I keep forgetting. Do you know what a Thestral is yet? No. Okay, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, I. Um, it might be those giant black horses. I have no idea. Oh, you know about the giant black horses. You don't know why Harry can see them, though, right? No. Okay. That yes, the Thestral is the giant black horse. Okay, it's, I don't know why he can. He okay. and Luna can. You'll only find see out. Them, though. At some point, Harry looks out a window in this book in these chapters and sees a Thestral kind of fly up out of the Forbidden Forest and then fly back down. So he knows that it, it, they're either kept out there or they're wild, and or there, or there are some wild ones out there. But perhaps one of them attacked Hedwig, which is you know certainly not good. Maybe makes Harry not trust them. Yeah, again, maybe, maybe the, like they sort of look like Dementors, so maybe they might be some kind, some kind, have some kind of powers of a Dementor. McGonagall suggests to Harry that Thestrals are trained not to touch owls, and that perhaps someone has attacked Hedwig to read Harry's mail, and that communication in and out of Hogwarts. It's possibly no longer safe. So now Harry's thinking, okay, I can't even send letters anymore. They're they're monitoring my communications. Things are getting dire. But he ends up actually thinking of a code where only the people he sends the letters to can understand what he's saying. He's like, dear blah, blah, blah. Um, how about we get the you-know-what and meet at the you-know-where? <laughs> Not a great code, but yeah, he's, he wants to... He wants to try and obfuscate his meaning in some fashion. Uh, Draco is bragging about his father's influence at the ministry because Slytherin has already gotten Quidditch permission from Umbridge. This is ridiculous. Everyone, they should be able to play Quidditch. And so Malfoy is saying, well, we can already play Quidditch and you can't. Who are you going to play against if no, <laughs> if no other team can play? Yeah, what's the point of having Quidditch if there's no one to play against? Yeah, he makes fun of Mr. Weasley while he's doing all this bragging, too. And Harry says it's only a matter of time before yeah. the ministry uh, sends him to a special ward of St. Mungo's. Yeah, um, he, ma- he makes fun of Molly and Arthur, both of them. And uh, Neville tries to, get Drake, uh, tries to get back at Draco and kind of has to be held back by Harry and Ron from, like, beating his face in. Kind of would have liked to see that if he had actually done it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Potions class is monitored by Umbridge. This is what's interesting. Umbridge doesn't seem to like Snape either. So we're like, wait a second. She doesn't like the teachers that like Harry. She doesn't like the teachers that don't like Harry. She. It, so this is kind of where you start to think that she's not really in league with anyone but Fudge. She's going to investigate everybody, regardless of what side they seem to be on. She asks Snape. Um, you know, my position, defense against the dark arts, is a job you have long wanted. Yes. Yes. And uh, she's kind of not even really interrogating him as much as maybe making fun of him at this point. Like, and you have never completed this? No. So, yeah, he's, uh, 
she's kind of just egging him on and and maybe trying to get a rise out of him, which is probably not going to happen with Snape. Uh, Fred and George have got a more finished version of their skiving snack box. Um, but they also, um, none of them can wait until she gets to McGonagall's class. And assuming that she's going to be there. What do you mean? Uh, um, they can't wait until Umbridge inspects McGonagall's class because they know that She's not going to get far with McGonagall. She inspected McGonagall last time already. Uh, we kind of skipped over that. But she did inspect McGonagall. And that was where she's like, I'm sure you got my note about the time and date of your inspection. McGonagall's like, of course I did, Minerva. Otherwise, I'd wonder why you're in my class. You know, so uh, she's she's given uh, her attitude. Uh, um, uh, you mean uh, or, uh, Dolores. Um, Dolores, whatever, yeah. <laughs> So she's given her attitude. She's not taking her nonsense, but McGonagall's such a good teacher, and she does follow the rules. She's very, she's very compliant with the curriculum, and she's not uh, taking a lot of weird chances like other professors. So it's highly unlikely that Umbridge would find anything wrong with with McGonagall. Harry runs into Trelawney, Umbridge. Did find something wrong with trolling, right? She got her results, and they were not good. But we don't know what they are yet. We don't know what they are, but we know that, that she is upset by these results. Oh, also, earlier in the book, um, like, in their first class, she gave them dream diaries. So they would write down their dreams. Um, and so they could interpret them later. Yeah. Perhaps. Sirius appears to Harry again in the fireplace. He knows that they are practicing defense against the dark arts. Mundungus told him. He's like, what? wondering how Dung knows. He's like, what? How? And then he explains to them, um, you you know that um, that weird old witch with a black veil. They're like, yeah, that was him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Dung is spying on them for the Order of the Phoenix, I guess. We still don't know where Dung's true allegiances lie, so we hope that he's only reporting back to the Order of the Phoenix. Mrs. Weasley tells him to tell Ron he's not allowed to participate. You can't be in this secret club, and I suggest Hermione and Harry don't do it either. But I'm not in control of um but she um I'm not in control of either of them, so um so I just hope they take um, I just hope that they take my advice. Now, Sirius says, oh, on the other hand, I think it's an awesome idea. You should definitely keep doing it. <laughs> you should use the hidden passageway behind the big mirror on the fourth floor. And uh, Harry says, Fred and George told me it's blocked. Sirius responds that uh, he'll think about other options. He wants them to have a good secret place to meet. Dobby tells them a good place we're not, later. We're not, we're not there yet. I mean later. Uh, then he, he gets alarmed and he has to go. He's out of there. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, then they notice that Umbridge is either in the fire or she's behind them. I don't Her know. hand comes out of the fireplace trying to grab something. What I take this to mean is that they're communicating via the flu network. Instead of physically transporting themselves, because I don't think you can do that in and out of Hogwarts uh, through the flu network or through apparition. Yeah, you can't. I believe that's why they are just communicating. They're sort of projecting their faces and their voices only. 
but it is through the flu network. So Umbridge must be reaching in to her fireplace, trying to grab whatever intruder and perhaps pull them into her fireplace. So that's why he's got to go. And her hands kind of, you know, grasping at, at whatever. Wait, wasn't wasn't serious um, face in the fire again? Serious face was showing up in the Gryffindor common room fireplace. Umbridge was probably at the fireplace in her office, reaching in and grabbing for whoever was an intruder in Hogwarts flu network. Isn't that kind of impossible? Not with magic. Mm. So I'm assuming that she knew through some means that somebody was infiltrating the flu network and was trying to catch them. This is bad for two reasons. They already now know that mail isn't safe. Now they can assume that the fireplace fireplace isn't isn't safe safe. either. They don't have cell phones, so that's their all communication methods with Sirius or with the Order are now cut off. Not great news for everybody. Yeah, and Umbridge ruins everything. What? Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. Hermione says during Charms class that she thinks Umbridge is the one reading Harry's mail, especially since Filch accused Harry of ordering these dumb dung bombs. She think she thinks Umbridge is looking for any excuse to get Harry's mail. So perhaps Umbridge said to Filch, I think Harry Potter is ordering dung bombs and you should read his mail just to get a hold of it. She, there, there were no dung bombs, obviously. So this was just an excuse. Uh, Hermione is practicing charm. She's mastered a silencing charm. Ron is trying, but he can't get it to work. Yeah, he has um, he has a toad, I believe, and Hermione has a raven. Um, yeah, Harry and Ron have toads. She has a raven, and um, she masters it. Ron is like, ah, ravens are easier to silence than toads. Angelina comes over and says that she does have permission for Quidditch practice. Angelina has been frustrated with Harry because even before this, uh, what do you call a decree against meetings, Harry was in detention every time they had practice. I've, I've read some people that are upset with Angelina for being like, why don't you understand that he can't get out of detention? I think what Angelina's frustrations are in saying, Harry, why can't you just do what you're told so that you can do Quidditch, which is the most important thing? Yeah, that reminds me of a movie I was watching. Uh, it's co- it, um, it was called um, McKenna Reach, um, Reaches for the Stars. It's about this girl in gymnastics, and, but um, she has a tutor and she doesn't tell her best friend. Um, and her leg is also broken. Okay. So, um, she, um, um, her best friend actually sees her with her tutor, and she's like, "Don't you care about gymnastics anymore? Is this your new best friend who you only care about now?" Like, seriously, girl, just give it a break. Yeah, the your 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 extra extracurricular activities when you're a kid can seem like they're the most important thing in the world. In Harry's case, uh, staying alive <laughs> is the most important thing in the world. And so he's having a bit of a headbutting with Angelina. Hermione has doubts about them starting their own defense against the Dark Arts Club, even though Sirius was all for it. But she thinks Sirius is just sick of being locked up. He can't go anywhere, right? Yeah, he's- yeah that's the reason that she thinks it, 
th- that she thinks it's a bad idea because um, she because she says um, um, I don't I don't remember actually. Well, she think yeah, she just thinks he's tired of being locked up because he's stuck at twelve Grimmauld Place. He can't go anywhere. He can't go anywhere as a dog. He's stir crazy. He has no he has no ability to affect anything really at this point, especially now that all his communication methods are cut off. Uh, he's he he's probably maybe not the best advisor for Harry because he's going to advise more risky things just because he's tired of not doing anything. So they have Quidditch practice in the rain. Harry has to do the sloth grip roll, which is the move that he and Ron had been discussing earlier. And he almost falls because it's really too slippery for them to be practicing. So they'd eventually give up. After an hour, they they give up and go inside. Yeah, um, like three or four kids fall off their brooms. And, and then they're like, um, with, without, um, um, without any beaters and, with, um, and without um, somebody else, I don't, I don't remember, uh, then we can't do anything, so... So Harry's scar starts to hurt again after they leave practice, and he has a few realizations. He tells Ron, right now my scar is hurting, and Voldemort's angry. He can feel Voldemort's emotions, and he knows why. He says Voldemort wants something, and it's not happening fast enough. Then he starts to remember the other times it happened. He said the last time it happened, or the first time it happened, he Voldemort was gaining was, power. He was no. The first time it happened, Voldemort was uh, furious. The second time is when Harry was being hurt, and he and said Voldemort was happy. So now Ron th- thinks like, um, are are you a whiz in divination or something? Yeah, he's like, why do you know what Voldemort's feeling? We don't know yet. We don't know how Harry's scar is directly connected to Voldemort's emotions, but it seems like. Maybe he could use this to their advantage because now he knows that Voldemort's looking for something. They don't know what, but it might help. You know, it might help if they get another clue. Back in the Gryffindor common room, Harry's doing his homework. And again, they've they've been getting extra homework all the time. So uh, that's not probably not the thing that he wants to be fo- focused on, right? Right. Harry dozes off. And has a dream about this corridor that he had again. Remember uh, a few chapters back, he dreamed about a long, dark corridor. Yeah, it's always Mr. the same. We- Mr. Weasley was there? Or? Yeah, it's always the same dream. Harry's woken up by Dobby. And Dobby's got Hedwig. Uh, Dobby turns out to have taken all the clothes that Hermione has been knitting and leaving for house elves. Yeah, um, she, um, he takes all the hats and scarves and wraps them up on his head, and they're, like, going out into, like, two antennas. Yeah, he's wearing, like, a giant turban of, of hats in a weird pattern. Yeah, and um, and um, Harry's like, have you been taking all of Hermione's clothes? But the reason he's taking them is the other elves don't like them. They don't care. They don't want to yeah. be free, and they don't want clothes. Plus, it wouldn't work because their master has to give it to them, so... I don't even think Hermione is it. I don't think Hermione's plan is for them to find clothes and be free. Perhaps I think her plan is just for them to get used to the idea of clothes, maybe because she knows that it's not going to set them free. I don't know. Uh, 
Maybe she hopes that there's some loophole that it will set him free. Regardless to say, Winky and the other uh, house elves don't care. Yeah. Um, so Dobby's but, wearing 38 hats. But Dobby says, no, no, not for all Dobby's self. I've been, um, Dobby has been giving Winky um, hats and scarves too. But she doesn't like them. No. Yeah, so he's like, well, I don't want him to go to waste. So I'm going to wear a hundred different articles of clothing. <laughs> but uh, so anywho. Dobby, once again, as always, has this vital, crucial piece of information that no one ever takes house elves seriously, so they don't care that house elves' magic allows them to apparate in and out of Hogwarts. Dobby, house elf magic, we will learn more, is incredibly powerful, but no one takes them seriously, so no one cares that they might be a threat. But once again, Dobby has a vital, vital clue for Harry. What room does Dobby tell Harry about? Um, I don't remember the exact name of it. The Room of Requirement. That's right. Um, um, that's right. So, um, he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, um... I think, what is the room of requirement? Okay, so um, um, you walk around um, to the specific spot in the castle, and then you walk around and think about what you need it for. Then the door um, for the room of requirements magically appears. Um, and then the room is immediately equipped for whatever what you need. what things you need. So at one point... Someone mentions... Uh, yeah, Harry's actually heard of it before, like, that it, once. That there's, like, maybe a bathroom that appeared when someone needed a bathroom. That's right. Dumbledore yeah. needed to go to the bathroom, but, um, the, um, but the nearest bathroom was really far away. Then he walked past the room of requirements. They didn't name it that yet. They, um, they, mentioned, they don't mention it by name, because then the kids oh, probably would have started right. looking for it. And then... Um, then... Um, Dumbledore sees the door and he opens it up because he hadn't seen it there before and then he f- um, finds that it has a bunch of pots in it for him to pee in I guess. Yeah, I guess so so the room of requirement if you are truly in need it will appear to you and it will have what you need in it so Harry needs a practice room for defense against the dark arts somehow through magic the room of requirement reads his mind when they go inside, it is full of shelves with defense against the dark arts stuff, like sneakoscopes and secrecy sensors and so, faux glass. And so, sort of like the stuff that um, that mood that the fake Moody used to have in his yeah, office. Yeah, it's got, and he was an or, so it would make sense that he would have those things. Uh, it's got books of spells, a compendium of common curses and their counteractions. Then Hermione is immediately convinced that yeah, this is perfect. She didn't get it until she saw these books. The, the dark arts <laughs> outsmarted, uh, self-defensive spell works, jinxes for the jinx. She takes jinxes for the jinx and sits down and starts reading. She's and like, they oh think, my God, this is perfect. <laughs> they they name themselves. Uh, well, Hermione suggests uh, that the, kid, the kids were all told to meet there at like 8 p.m., Hermione suggests a name would help us to feel more like a team. What is the first name they come up with? Um, 
the Ministry Appell system or something? No, it was the DA, but not the thing they eventually get called. What? What? No, what? <laughs> Someone suggests a name and the initials are DA. Yeah, that's what they get called. Someone suggests a different name that, that oh, stands for DA. That's right. That, that Do you remember what it was? Mm-mm. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that it's like, I don't think it was Dobby's army. It was something with a D, Defense Army or something. I don't remember. And then someone it, else says, um, um, "Let's keep those same initials, but then call it Dumbledore's Army, in uh, so that way we can say it, but nobody would know what we were talking about." Well, also because that is the thing that the Ministry is scared of: is that Dumbledore is creating his own army. So let's give them what they're afraid of. If they're so scared of us, let's be the thing they're afraid of. This, again, will prove to probably be as bad of a decision as writing down the names of all the members. But that's later. So Dumbledore's army is their name. Dumbledore doesn't know about it. The weird thing is that they would show allegiance to Dumbledore even though... He doesn't know about it. Well, not only that, but even though he's giving Harry the cold shoulder. They are still loyal to him. They are loyal to what he stands for, even though he's not being a nice guy. Have you noticed that we are... Let's see. Chapter 18. We're halfway through this book. We have not talked to Dumbledore hardly at all in this book. We haven't seen his side of anything other than the, the trial. I know. He's almost not in this book. Plus, yeah, he he's talked like he's talked in like two sentences and that's it. I think the reason that the writer did it this way is so that we would feel the distance from Dumbledore that Harry feels. She's not even showing us Dumbledore by himself not talking to Harry. He's just absent. The only times we see him are when Harry sees him, and even then it's only briefly. So it's a very effective method for making the reader feel distant from Dumbledore. Uh, It works for me, at least. Are we doing um, one more chapter? Because this one at the end is really interesting. I think we're going to do one more chapter. Let's get through this one. Uh, So, they're Dumbledore's army. And they've they've got their their tools. They've got their space. They start practicing. Harry wants to teach everybody uh, Expelliarmus, the disarming charm. And um, um, he's like, I know, I know, it's the boring basics, but it can really help you. And they pair off. They do their their practice. Some people have different results. Some people blow each other up. Some people do pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that if Seamus Fidigan. Um, Finnegan was in here, he would blow up at his opponent because he has a gift for blowing Yeah, I think Seamus isn't quite on the same page with the DA just yet. Um, Luna tells Harry that her father, Mr. Lovegood, is anti-fudge and that... He, she, um, that he will believe anything of fudge, which, me, which means that he will believe anything... Um, basically bad about fudge <laughs> yeah so he's ready to support them is what she's saying and so you've got at least one grown-up on your side I'm not sure if that makes harry feel any better because he thinks luna's kind of loony better father's probably loony too especially if he's he, the guy that makes the quibbler yeah chapter 19 the lion and the serpent they want to meet next wednesday so uh the da meetings are starting to have progress now they have a hard time finding a, a place when everyone can meet because of Quidditch and studies and all that. And they can't do it on Hogsmeade because um, cause, 
um, either you or mommy said, like, they only have Hogsmeade, like, three to five times a year. Yeah, they don't do it a lot. Uh, so they can't do it on Hogsmeade weekends instead of just not going. They finally figure out a schedule, and Harry realizes it's actually good that it's kind of random. Because that means if anyone's following them, they might not be able to figure out their pattern. Yeah, because um, then they, would, they wouldn't know, and then... Um, they're like, that's good if uh, if it's random because then, yeah. That's what I just said. Yeah, I'm I'm putting it in. Okay, words. go ahead. Um, if if they like saw like t- um like ten Ravenclaws and five Hufflepuffs leaving the table all at one time, people would get su- suspicious. Right. They also happen to have their meetings when the Slytherins are doing Quidditch practice, which means there may not be. A ton of Slytherins hanging out, uh, paying attention to where they're going. This is a part that they leave out of the movies that I'm probably more upset about than anything else that's left out of the movies. How does Hermione devise for them to announce the dates of the meetings? Uh, I, um, um, she, um, she makes, um, what are they called? Uh, what are the galleons? Galleons. She makes um, a galleon for everybody. Ron thinks it's actually real. He's he's hoping that it's real, <laughs> um, but it's fake. But it's fake. Um, and um, it gets warm when um, when the date changes. Um, um, and she's like, you know, the numbers on the bottom of the um, of the galleons. They're like, yeah. There's a different one. Um, there's a different number for each one. Yeah. So um, it's called a serial number. Serial number. Yeah. So when um, it starts burning, like it starts getting hot, um, if if you like have it in your pocket or something, you can take it out. Then you know when the next meeting is. Because the numbers change now. Harry's coin is keyed into all the other coins, so Harry can change the numbers. On his fake galleon. Whenever he wants. It's a way for them to send messages to each other now. It's basically like wizard text messaging because they don't have an easy way to communicate with each other. Except it only shows dates, not letters. Sure, but it's effective. And this, at this point, another student asks, uh, hey, you're, how did you even do this? This is like a newt level spell. You're like the smartest kid yeah, at this school. Uh, Why are you not a Ravenclaw? Yeah, she, um, um, everybody is looking at her like she's insane for so this idea. So what does she say about the fact that she's not a Ravenclaw? Uh, um, can I please finish? Go ahead. What was I saying now? I forgot. You said everybody looks at her like she's insane. Oh, that's right. Um, and then she's like, well, I thought it was a good idea. And then, um, I think it's Zachariah Smith who actually says it. Um, and, um, and they're like. You can do what, whatever that spell's called. She's like, I, a protein yeah. charm. You can do a protein charm, and she's like, uh, well, yeah, but I don't really remember what she says about her not being. She says the Sorting Hat at one point decided that she would be in Ravenclaw, but after much consideration, decided that Gryffindor is a better fit. And this is where some fans have theories that even the Sorting Hat may have decided that Harry is going to need people around him that have the skills he doesn't have. 
And Hermione is more clever than Harry. So the sorting hat might have known this kid's life's going to be complicated. He's going to need allies and they're going to need to be smart. But how does the hat know that um, Harry's even there? How does the hat know to bring him a sword? I don't know. It's <laughs> magic hat. Well, Dumbledore sent it. Well, it's a magic hat. It can read people's minds. So if it can read Harry's whole past and know everything about him, maybe it knew what was in store. I, I think the sorting hat is one of the great mysteries of this universe that is not explained entirely. <laughs> so we have the first Quidditch match between Slytherin and the Gryffindors coming up. The Slytherins are trying to hex the Gryffindor players, which is certainly not allowed. Uh, Snape doesn't care when Alicia uh, sort of try and tells on them. Um, not Alicia. What am I thinking? Angela? Or, no, Alicia's a Slytherin, isn't she? I don't know. Alicia? I don't remember who Alicia is. Uh, Alicia is on the Gryffindor. Okay. Team. Well, anyway, she ends up with huge eyebrows. And they think that somebody might have been trying to do a, a hex on her. But Snape doesn't care. He lets the Slytherins do whatever they want, even though he's pretty Horrible. certain they're terrible. Um, they even saw a kid, Miles Bletchley, hit her with a jinx. Ron is playing unpredictably. He's good at some things. He's bad at other things. Yeah, at one point he um turns backwards and then... um kicks the quaffle away. He's being harassed by the Slytherins. He's not confident, right, in what he's doing. Right. The morning of the game, uh, Ron has this look on his face yeah, that he, is similar to when he had that slug vomiting charm. Yeah, he's he was really pale, and he it looked like he could hardly open his mouth. Angelina shows up with great news. Slytherin has two new beaters. Who are they? Um, Everyone's best friends. Um, 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 Crab and Goyle. It's Crab and Goyle. So now Ron knows that uh, Crab and Goyle are going to be beating bludgers at his face all day. Yay! So they head out to the pitch. Slytherin's already waiting. Yet yeah, the three worst kids in the entire school are now going to be playing against them in Quidditch. Now, granted, there's only, you know, so many kids in the whole school. There's like seven or eight kids on the on the Quidditch team. So, like, <laughs> a, a good percentage of the kids are playing Quidditch. Yeah, like, only three kids in the house are not playing Quidditch. Only three. Yeah, and then, um, let's see. Do-do-do-do-do. The game is kind of going back and forth. Harry sees the snitch. Both he and Draco are chasing after it. Harry catches it. And then what happens to him? Do you remember? No. He gets hit in the head with a bludger from Crab. Oh, that's right. He he um intentionally um um makes it look like an accident and then swings it at Harry. So he, so the game is technically over. All playing should have stopped. And he did this just to harm Harry basically. There really I don't understand how it's not considered attempted murder if someone bats a wooden ball at your head but uh whatever it's not even wooden it's metal yeah i think they're a combination but uh you know they're the slytherins are going sort of unreprimanded by hexing the other team cheating trying to harm the other team physically violence they do get in trouble from madam hooch uh yeah madam hooch but they don't actually Nothing really bad ever happens to them, you know? They're horrible people. 
uh, Harry, uh, Fred and George go after him. Yeah, they start lunging, uh, trying to lunge at Malfoy. Draco, uh, Draco's making fun of the Weasleys. He's making fun of Alicia, Angelina. He starts making fun of Harry's parents. There's about to be a brawl, right? Yeah, then um, all three girls on the team, they have to start pulling George back from not... Um, terrorizing Mal- Malfoy. I wish they would have let him go a little bit longer, you know? <laughs> uh, Madam Hooch does an impedimenta charm, which makes everybody stop but, what they're doing. But also, um, ha- um, Harry notices Fred is going after him now, so he, um, he starts pulling on him. And then um, once Malfoy starts insulting his parents, he's like, oh, now you're going to get it. And by mistake, he lets Fred go, and they both start beating the crap out of his face. Yeah, so then the impedimenta charm, everyone's pulled apart. Uh, Madame Hooch is about to punish everyone, then who shows up? Um, Umbridge? <laughs> <laughs> Umbridge shows up and says she has been, there's a new decree, there's always new decrees, there's a new decree that says she has supreme power over punishments. So that means she can change any punishment. So what's her decision about Harry, George, and Fred f- for um, fighting? Uh, Madam Hooch says you'll each be um, be receiving detention. Then she so sh- um, Umbridge so show shows up and says, "I think they deserve more than detention, Madam." Um. And then she says, I'm going to, um, 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 I, I think they deserve a little more. I think they should be, uh, I think all of them should be, um, banned from Quidditch for good. Forever. For as long as they're in school, they can never play Quidditch again. Ever. This is pretty bad for everyone involved. Now, Fred and George certainly have other things going on in their lives. Uh, Harry... Quidditch is the only normal part of his life. It's the only thing he can do where he's not... Yeah, people are trying to kill him sometimes, but not usually. So he certainly enjoys it. He's pretty good at it. She's, ah, uh, yeah, lifetime ban on it. Take care of you. Yeah, and then, What about Ron? Um, he, he also... Um, she also says, I also think that other Weasley should be punished <laughs> for... Um, but she doesn't punish Ron. She lets Ron go, and she says, I didn't see anyone else being violent. She doesn't punish any Slytherins. She doesn't punish well, Crab for f- hitting a bludger at Harry's head. Well, somebody does, but he only has to, um, he only has to write lines. But right, not right no, that. but not, not a lifetime ban like this. Well, yeah. The person that incited it and the person that made it worse, they don't get these lifetime bans. Obviously, she just wants to hurt Harry as much as possible. Ron comes back to the common room, finds out that three people on his team have been banned from Quidditch forever. Yes. Their brooms have been confiscated. So once Angelina hears about it, she's like, well, with with no seekers and no beaters, then we basically have no team. Ron says he's going to quit. And what does Harry tell him? He's like, uh, he's like, don't. You, you just got on it. You enjoy that. Not only that, but that if you quit, there's literally three people left on the team. Yeah. So they've already got to rebuild their entire team. Yeah, then they're... They're not going to find a Seeker better than Harry. Yeah, then there wouldn't be no Seekers, no beat, no Seekers, no Beaters, and um, not a, um, no Keepers, so... So at the end of this conversation, 
Hermione shows up and she has got some big, big news. What does she tell everybody? Hagrid's back. Hagrid's back. And that's going to leave us uh, for our next chapter, which I believe is chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale. So we're finally going to find out, it sounds like, where Hagrid's been, what he's been up to, why has he missed half the school year, what's going on, right? Yeah. You have not read that chapter, right? No. Okay, so that's exciting. I'm anxious to see what you think about where Hagrid's been and what he's been up to. I do encourage you, if you enjoy Potter and Daughter, this podcast, head on over to iTunes and leave us a positive review. It will help other people find the show. It's under the literary section. Look it up. Give us a five-star review and uh, say some nice things about Lily and say some adequate things about me, if you don't mind. (laughs) And uh, help other people find the show because when we're done, the whole thing's going to be archived there forever for anyone who wants to have an audio companion to reading the series of Harry Potter books. Uh, Also... I want to tell you if you if you do enjoy the show, please head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinks and sue. Give one, two, three, five dollars a month, whatever. And it helps me keep things like this free and available for everybody. And it also helps me uh, keep this as basically my full time job, making this podcast, making comics, putting things on the internet for free uh, is my full time job and, and and also making it a fun activity for me. Sure thing, absolutely. Uh, it's something that we enjoy doing together, and it helps us continue to be able to do so. So, for Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And I think this was a halfway decent episode. What do you think, Lily? Eh, maybe probably halfway more. Great episode? Yeah, probably pretty great episode. Okay. <laughs> Ow. Sorry. You destroyed me with your high five. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Yep. This book is so awesome.